You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Time to then talk with our next expert this morning. We've got Richie Vosai, fund manager at Asia Frontier Capital, joining us right now. Richie, good morning. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right, let's kick it off with frontier markets. What exactly are frontier markets? What economies are you are we looking at? What's covered here, and why should investors be looking at them? Well, frontier markets is a pretty large asset class if you look at just in, in terms of the universe of countries that are part of the frontier markets. I mean, just to put it simply, frontier markets are those countries or economies which are probably in a early stage of growth compared to, say, other larger emerging markets like India or China or Indonesia. And also our smaller economies or smaller stock market sizes compared to some of the other large, larger emerging markets in the region. So, for example, in Asia, which is what we focus on, you know, countries like Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Vietnam, and also Central Asian countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan and Georgia uh, and some of the Middle Eastern countries like Iraq are all frontier markets. But like I said, the frontier market asset class is much larger than this. You also have many African countries in sub-Saharan Africa, which are frontier markets. Then you have Latin America, for example, countries like Colombia, Argentina, and also in Eastern Europe, for example, Romania, and some of the Baltic countries, all frontier markets. It's a pretty large asset class. And in terms of why investors should be invested in frontier markets, I think that's a good question because frontier markets actually is a very good diversification tool for any sophisticated investor. So if you look at returns for frontier markets, especially Asian frontier markets in 2023, they significantly outperformed pretty much all global markets and especially Asian emerging markets. Uh, so if, if an investor was invested last year, for example, in Asian frontier markets, despite what's happening, say, in some of the Asian countries or Asian stock markets, they would, they would have done pretty well from a diversification perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but with increased returns, the, the risk factor is also much more heightened, isn't it, for the frontier market investments? And I think I'd like you to talk a bit more about that with, for our, uh, you know, for our listeners. And specifically, I, I saw a note that you shared and you said how you'd seen some extraordinary returns in some of your investments in Sri Lanka and Iraq. Um, tell us through what the story is here. Well, first coming to to risk. I mean, yes, these. So, I mean, firstly, when people talk about risk in frontier markets, uh, it's, it's it depends on how you look at it. For example, if you look at, say, for example, countries like, say, Bangladesh or Pakistan or some of the other frontier markets, uh, some of the news in the media always is could, could be negative, but that's not really the reality on the ground. Uh, things on the ground are very much different from what, what the media is reporting at times. And also just from a fundamental perspective, many of these frontier markets, say, for example, Pakistan, already traded at a pretty big valuation discount to larger emerging markets. So what I'm saying is the risk is already factored into valuations. For example, Pakistan's stock market trades at a P ratio right now about four and, a, four, four and a half times, which is extremely low. I don't think any other Asian market trades at this kind of multiple. So clearly, you know, valuations factor in some of these risk factors like political risk or economic risk or some of the other risks risk that could be part of frontier markets. Uh, and also coming back to your, your second part of your question in terms of Iraq and Sri Lanka, yeah, uh, Iraq especially had a very fantastic year last year. The stock market was up almost 100%. Our Iraq, Iraq fund was up about 110%. So like I said, significant returns in frontier markets uh, last year. And what's driving some of these returns is basically Iraq is a very, is a recovery story over here given what happened you know, post-ISIS and post the social conflict they had 
you know, between 2014 to 2017-18. But things are recovering now. You know, there's a new government in place. There's much more stability. Uh, oil prices have been pretty stable over the last two or three years. That's really helped the budget of the government so they can spend more infrastructure on social spending. So very strong recovery story here in Iraq. And also for Sri Lanka, I think, I mean, of course, as like everyone knows, I think 2022 was the bottom for Sri Lanka, both economically and also politically. They had social, they had a you know social unrest, political crisis, and economic crisis. But things bottomed out by the end of 2022, and that's why, as you know, as in inflation started coming off, interest rates started coming off, uh, you know, investors got more confident on the recovery from Sri Lanka as well. So very strong recovery in Sri Lanka also. Right. So uh, for many of these countries, would you say it's the domestic story that's going to be much stronger and that's really uh, the play that investors are looking to benefit from? Uh, you know, some of the markets that you talked about, for example, Vietnam, they do have a very strong uh, external growth story as well with the trade component coming in. But for majority of the frontier markets, do you think the growing populations, the younger uh, you know, uh, younger uh, demographics as well. All of these factors are playing uh, to their strengths. That's that's right. So I mean, it depends on the kind of country that we are fo- that you're focusing on. So, for example, Vietnam, like you correctly mentioned, is uh, very, is very export dependent. So, in fact, in fact, Vietnam is the key beneficiary in Asia from the global supply chain shift, especially, for example, post the pandemic and post the geopol- geopolitical tensions between China and the U.S. You've seen a lot of manufacturing activity move from mainland China and also other parts of the region into Vietnam. So clearly, clearly they benefited a lot from this and therefore the, therefore the exports have almost tripled in the last, you know, last, last five or six years. Uh, but besides that, Vietnam also has a, has a large population. It's a population of 100 million people. It's young, uh, you know, median age, median age is less than 30 years. So they also have a pretty strong domestic consumption story as well. But besides that, yes, for example, some of the South Asian countries like Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, uh, they're not very export dependent. They're more focused on the domestic market. It's, all, it's a more domestic driven story. Uh, and they also have a large population. For example, Bangladesh's population is 170 million people. Pakistan is above 210 million people. And again, young population. And exports as percent of GDP for all these countries is less than 15% of GDP. So, you know, for example, if there's some kind of slowdown in the US, the impact on the economy will, will not be as large as, say, for example, a very export dependent economy. That's right. And since, you know, you did bring up the U.S., uh, that is, uh, that's the growth engine of the world uh, as much as, uh, you know, uh, and given that we've got big elections coming up there, there's going to be a certain degree of political uncertainty. And there's the continuous talk about what the the U.S. Fed is doing and how the interest rates there are moving. But uh, increasingly, it seems like the interest rates cutting cycle may not take place as quickly as one was expecting. How does that play out into the Asian markets then, especially the developing world, a lot of which is dependent on debt funding as well. Right. I mean, the way to look at this or put this in perspective is, for example, especially emerging markets in this part of the world took a big hit in 2022 because the Fed was so aggressive in raising interest rates. And last year, the Fed kind of got less hawkish. But in 2024, yes, maybe the Fed, the expectations are they could be cut in March, they could cut in June, maybe in second half. I'm not sure when. Mm. But the bigger picture is the Fed is moving to an easing cycle because inflation is coming off significantly compared to where it was in 2022 and 2021. So the bigger picture is the Fed and even global central banks will move, probably will move to easing cycle at some point in 2024. And that is a big positive for emerging frontier markets. And in fact, many markets in our universe or central banks in our universe have already started cutting interest rates because they raised interest rates so aggressively in 2022 
they've already started cutting interest rates uh, from the second half of 2023. So, for example, Sri Lanka has cut pretty aggressively. Vietnam has cut interest rates. And even countries like Kazakhstan and Georgia have cut interest rates. And I think the next to cut interest rates would be Pakistan sometime in, in, in the first half of 2024. So I think what I'm trying to say is that broadly central banks have a much easier job now with the U.S. Fed getting less hawkish. And that's very positive for investor sentiment in frontier markets and emerging markets. Right. How worried, uh, you know, all the countries that you mentioned, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and most of the frontier markets that you're flagging, inflation is such a sticking point uh, as well, you know, for these countries at large. How worried uh, would you be on that front? Well, you did mention the rate cut cycle in these countries seem to have begun, but they're also, you know, battling other uh, domestic economic pressures. Well, actually, interest rates have come off because inflation mm-hmm. is coming down. I mean, I, I don't think a central bank will cut interest rates. Inflation has been very high. So Sri Lanka's in tra- inflation in September 2022 was about 70% and now it's down to 4%. So that's given a lot of room for central bank to cut interest rates. Same thing in Vietnam. In fact, in Vietnam, inflation has been very much under control despite what happened uh, after the war in Ukraine or high commodity price in 2022. It's been less than 4% for I would say the last 12 or 15 months. So central bank has got ha, has had the room to cut interest rates. And also countries in Central Asia have inflation has come off from, for example, in Kazakhstan from above 20% to now about 9.8%. So it's halved in the last probably 12 months. And that's again giving room to, so, uh, to central banks to cut interest rates. So I'm not so concerned on the inflation side. Uh, we, are, we are behind all those key pressures of high inflation from a supply chain issue perspective, high commodity prices. And some of the one-off impacts that, say, for example, in Sri Lanka, that happened in Sri Lanka or right. Central Asia. Right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Roche, for joining us this morning. We 